Welcome back to another episode of the Into the Night Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1985 John Landis-directed comedy Into the Night, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And we are from Predator Minutes. Hey, good to be back here with you, John, talking hey. Into the Night. Well, thanks for being on for five minutes in a row, Jeff. Really appreciate that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery joined us last time. <laughs> Unfortunately, he could not be here this week. Dude. Or the yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's sleeping it off on the couch. Oh, yeah. he's very sleepy. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so we will not be disturbing him, if that's okay with you all. Dude. We're just going to move right into minute 45 of Into the Night. Minute 45 of Into the Night opens with Ed saying no and ends (laughs) (laughs) and it ends with a couple of valets opening up what looks to be a very fancy car yeah and rummaging in the bushes (laughs) yeah yeah but we'll talk about that that guy rummaging in the bushes yeah what's that guy doing who knows we'll get there so what's happening in minute 45 jeff well, we start out with uh, the tail end of their conversation. So in the last minute, almost the entire minute was the conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning of this minute, they finished that up. And uh, should we just jump right in, John, with a, a dramatic line reading to finish out their conversation? Sure. Let's finish off their conversation. Like you're saying, I'll be Ed if you want to be Diana. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll, I'll start it off. <clears throat> No. (laughs) You did it before at the airport. I'm not sure what I did at the airport. You saved my life. They don't know who you are. Right now, they don't know where I am. Just stay with me for a little while longer. How do you know you can trust me? Because I know men. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love the face Jeff Goldblum makes at the end of this conversation. I do too. I was going to mention that. Yeah. It is some great face acting. It's just top notch. His his, uh, lower lip, I think, kind of curls in. Mm, and he kind of does this little, um, yeah. this little frowny face as he's lo- looking back after she says, "Because I know men." Yeah, <laughs> that, face, that face could say so many things, but all it really does is move us to the next scene without him saying anything. Yeah, I mean that could be the face someone makes when they just saw like a really good pool shot, like, <laughs> mm, <Yeah>. nice, <laughs> you know, or. Maybe your your friend says that they just uh, cheated on their girlfriend. You're like, hmm. Oh. <laughs> or in this case, she claims that she knows men. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's her whole reasoning for her being able to trust him because she knows men. Right. Yeah. It's a very versatile face he makes there, but it fits the, the end of the conversation pretty perfectly. I, I hand hats off to uh, Goldblum there. It's almost like this red flag face. Just uh, I'm not really sure what that means, and I'm not going to address it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to think about it as I drive into the next scene. Yeah, I'm going to nod my head slowly and hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum with the good face acting, 
Um, yeah. I had to look. I had to look up who else was potentially going to take this role of Ed in this movie, and the first choice for John Landis was Jack Nicholson. And Jack oh, Nicholson, that's interesting. Yeah, Jack Nicholson was having none of this. He he said to John Landis as a quote, "I like it, and I like you, but this guy doesn't really do anything. The audience likes the leading man to take action." Hmm. So it's really speaking to the the movie's plot right here and the characterization for Ed about him just being a reactor, Back! not a proactor, and <laughs> taking charge all the time. He's he's definitely we're seeing in this conversation. We see it at least in the first big chunk of the movie that he's just following Diana's lead. He's he's not meant to take charge and lead you know the duo into conflict. He's just okay. I'll I'll help up. Okay, so. Give me all the information. Okay, then we'll act on that. Yeah, I think that was probably a good move by Jack and ultimately by whoever was doing the casting. Like, Jack! Jack! Uh, Jack Nicholson is more of a take the bull by the horns type of actor, or he tends to play those types of characters, yeah. you know? And and you're right. Uh, Ed here is is more passive. He's kind of going along. He's a bit of a pushover. You know, he kind of decides, he, he argues with her, but ultimately doesn't push back that much. And he's just kind of like, okay, I'll help you without mm-hmm. really much of an argument. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing Jack. Jack! Jack! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I have a hard time seeing him play that role. It just doesn't seem to fit his personality type. I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing that. So maybe he knew what he was doing when he turned down the role. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, Jeff Goldblum here is is very much in the vein of uh, who played Goose in Top Gun. That's 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 who I could see also. Oh, yeah. oh Anthony Edwards. Anthony yeah, Edwards would have made another fine uh, Ed in this movie. I'm just your... You know, someone who you can recognize and who's a star enough, but who also can take that back seat, Michelle Pfeiffer, the leading lady, and not have the ego hurt at all. Yeah, that's true. It really he he plays well off of her, and I feel like Jack Nicholas might kind of you know steal the scenes or or sort of bulldoze the scenes with when he's with her. You know, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I just got a flash of him and the departed like doing cocaine <laughs> off of a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> I, think of, I think of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> After the stone, see? Yeah. Right, yeah. Not too very well there. So uh, we, we talked a bit about their conversation, uh, but mm-hmm. that ends pretty quickly here. We get, we get the nice little face acting by Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to them driving in the car. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sweet. Uh, what is this, a Cadillac? It is a kind of like way to nail it. This is Thanks. a nineteen. <laughs> this is a nineteen fifty nine Cadillac Eldorado Brits, mm. uh, and I searched this up. Custom for paint job. Custom paint job. Beautiful, mm. beautiful paint job. I mean, it looks like a rocket ship flying through the night on wheels. Mm. And that was the big idea behind nineteen fifties cars. Is all part of this space race and the you know racing against the communists to see who could uh, put. A man in space, put a man on the moon first. It's all competitive. Build the longest car. <laughs> build the, the longest car that looks like a rocket. That's what the fins are meant to evoke with the little uh, red lights. It's meant to evoke this uh, rocket ship imagery by giving these things the, the streamline. This thing is just a the hunk of a car. It's I believe it was twenty feet long, which is just ginormous. <laughs> just. That is massive, and it only has two seats. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, it has it has kind of like the uh, I'm trying to think in this 
movie. It looks like it has a, kind of maybe a wider back seat. I'm guessing it might have one of those kind of like just a little squeezed bench. in back seats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does. Yeah, looking yeah. at it again. Um, yeah, but pretty pretty amazing car. I don't know a whole lot about cars, so I'm sorry, uh, yeah. audience. I don't have a lot to add about Cadillacs other than this is a pretty badass looking Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did. I did a little bit of uh, googling for the car, and you, you can find them on sale at auctions, and they'll go anywhere uh, for between a hundred thousand to four hundred thousand, as long as they're you know extravagantly upkept. Just like pocket so change. shiny pocket pocket change for the collector. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, Barrett Jackson mentions as one of the details. Barrett Jackson is a car collector site, um, and they. Uh, talk a lot about the auctions about the different cars on sale and they mentioned that the oh the eldorado biarritz was one of cadillac's most extravagant models loaded with extra chrome <laughs> which i love that's the first <laughs> detail that's the very first thing you're going to notice right it's just how shiny it is and you see the very same thing here uh, in this movie as they're driving the whole thing just glitters in the in the nightlight as Stones. it's going through the la streets yeah it is uh impeccably well maintained this car mm-hmm. um it is just it looks like it's right out of the car wash it does it just sparkles in the street lights as he's driving it along mm-hmm. pretty sweet the top speed of this car is 127 miles per hour so wow. a, yeah a real real speed burner and uh the weight off the curb is 5250 pounds and yeah, like I mentioned before, we're looking at about 225 inches long, so almost 20 feet long. By all means, it's it's just this uh, hunk of stylized, artsy, rocket ship, retro futuristic metal burning through the night. Uh, and, and this being a film that takes place at night, and it's in the name, Into the Night, it falls into this film noir category last month we talked a lot about the MacGuffin being the stones well this month i figured we'd talk a little bit about the film style and the characteristics of one of the characters namely michelle pfeiffer um, and we'll break down each of these uh, yeah this-, this is uh we were talking about this a little bit off mic this mm-hmm. this does kind of fall into i i place this movie into kind of two categories it's the it's the one crazy night movie you know yeah. uh that style everything takes place and you know over this one particular night and i, I do kind of like movies that fall into that category they're kind of fun but this mm-hmm. also does have a lot of the same tropes and characteristics of a film noir yes um, what exactly is a film noir john what makes a, a film a film noir well fil- film noir is one of those broad broad genres it's not quite as broad as saying something is an action movie uh, but mm-hmm. it can it could it could very easily be defined by just a few items uh, that you'll find in the movie. Namely, uh, the nighttime is the main time frame for a, a movie, and that's the case for this movie. There is some there are some daytime scenes, but uh, m- most of the action happens at night. Um, also, you have the presence of a femme fatale. Mm. Uh, that would be our manic pixie dream girl, Michelle Pfeiffer's character Di- Diana in this movie. Yeah. Um, so the female character who is associated with danger and possibly death mm. as our femme fatale. Does a film noir have to have an element of mystery? Is that do you think that's part of the definition, or is that just a lot of film noirs are centered around mysteries because it fits the style? That's a really good question. Um, I I think the mystery helps tie into the nighttime setting. About the night is 
something mysterious in itself where you don't know what you're going into when you're heading out into the night sometimes. And uh, I think a mystery plays a large role in most film noirs. Yes. I think I'm going to say yes. Now that I think about it, (laughs) because every, if I was to make a list of like all the film, film noirs I've seen or my favorite film noirs, I think they all have some sort of mystery at the center of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to say yes. I'm going to answer my own question. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about some of our favorite film noirs. Yeah. Uh, when, I, when I was looking at the details, one thing that stood out to me about all, a lot of these film noir examples is this element of nihilism, this element that nothing really matters. Because if you're thinking about these kind of dark uh, private detective kind of movies from 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, the, oftentimes you're not learning a lesson here. There's death, destruction uh, befalling the characters, but there's really no lesson. Uh, and one of the prime examples I, I'm thinking of right off the bat is, I'll just take it as my first example, uh, stars uh, who were just talking about a moment ago, Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, where mm. it has a very, very dark downer ending where you're just thinking, oh man, like really, it makes it feel like nothing in the movie mattered. I'm not going to spoil it here, but uh, it did have that nihilistic tone, that just dark, nothing matters kind of tone. And so that stood out to me. It's not my favorite film noir. I'll talk about that in a moment. But why, why don't you take the next example? Yeah, sure. I, I have never seen Chinatown. I, okay. uh, it's one of my um, one of my holes in my uh, movie watching. So I'll have to add that to the list. I know it's a classic. I know people always talk about it as one of the great film noirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, you know, what, 30, 40 years. Um, I will talk about uh, a little more of a modern uh, film noir, and uh, that is Memento. Mm. That's not uh, maybe what you might think of uh, initially when you think of film noir, but if you think about what makes a film noir a film noir, I think it meets all the criteria. Um, Mm -hmm. It has a a femme fatale. It has a mystery centered Mm -hmm. around it. The entire movie is uh, unraveling towards some unknown beginning because as you may or may not know the hook of memento is that the entire narrative works backwards Mm. um, because it's about uh, our protagonist is a man who uh, has no long-term memory he can only remember things for about a minute or two before his memory resets and so to give the audience a sense of what that's like the story unfolds backwards and that sounds complicated, but when you watch it, uh, it's really clever and is very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it, it uh, I think it fits into a film noir narrative as well. So I'm going to throw that one out there as one of my favorite film noirs. I would say uh, that my favorite one that pops into my head is Roger Rabbit. It being itself a private detective movie uh, just happening to star cartoon characters in a crossover with uh, different franchises and then that's a great pick i love that yeah thank you yeah. yeah and as those cartoon characters bring their trials and tribulations into the real world and have to call on a human detective played by bob hoskins uh, to, to help them figure things out um it's it's has everything that a film noir should it has your femme fatale and jessica rabbit uh, it has uh your murder mystery uh, that uh, eddie valentine i think that's his name is trying to solve. Um, it has a lot of the nighttime setting when uh, all the best action takes place, uh, whether it's, you know, spying on uh, potential suspects or it's evading enemies. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of my, one of my favorites that comes to mind when talking about film noirs. It's one I saw as a kid that really yeah. stuck with me. And it's got like the classic storyline, right? Of like the, the bombshell female character coming into the detective's office and, mm-hmm. 
you know, asking for his help. And he's like, oh, you can't get your any help here, Dame. You know, like, yeah, like exactly. classic, like 1940s style, like detective noir. I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Nice choice. Yeah, thanks, man. Do you have do you have one more to round us off? Uh, I will go with a, a David Lynch film, Mulholland Drive, um, and that is a movie that I am compelled to revisit every couple of years. And you might not think of it as a film noir at first, but uh, if you haven't watched it in a long time, watch it again. It definitely falls into that uh, style of film. It it uh, is centered around a mystery. The whole film is kind of a mystery, um, and we've got a two femme fatale type characters um and you know sitting here trying to describe Mulholland Drive as a futile uh endeavor because it is a complicated movie with a lot of dream logic and Mm -hmm. uh if you've never seen it just go watch it I I really love it I I don't know if I've ever actually figured it out um but I'm compelled to watch it every couple years to try again so (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those movies for me so, uh, yeah, check out Mulholland Drive. David Lynch, he's a weird dude, but makes pretty interesting movies. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know. I'm starting to see a theme here that, at least with our examples, in my opinion, that the more you watch them, the more you can kind of put the pieces together on your own or the more things that you yeah. can find that are extra that uh, you didn't Yeah, you're right. Myth was kind of the same way. Yes, yeah. yes. Even I would say even Roger Rabbit, just with all their little yeah. cameos of uh, yeah. a- animated characters, you might say, oh, I didn't notice that this character was in the background this time around. That's kind of yeah, fun. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. People, okay. everyone out there should uh, watch our movie selections. We, we have good choices. <laughs> yeah. good we have great taste. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I think the last little note I had was just uh, breaking down the characterization here of Michelle Pfeiffer representing this trope of the manic pixie dream girl, which was a 2007 termed characterization in which uh, the there's a girl in a story who really is showing the stuffy or boring guy how to live life, how to push the envelope, how to just do crazy things and, and come out of his shell more and really realize his potential. Uh, and I was wondering if any examples popped in your head. Uh, yeah. So whenever I think of that term, the manic pixie dream girl, the character that always comes to mind, I think it's this is the ultimate manic pixie dream girl that you just described, which is Natalie Portman's character in mm. Garden State. Um, she is literally manic and kind of looks like a pixie and, uh, all the things you described is exactly what she does. You know, she takes Zach Braff's character who's stuffy kind of, well, not stuffy. I shouldn't say that, but if you've seen that movie, you know, that the plot device that they use is that he's coming off of his medication that he's been taking for years for depression and anxiety. And he's kind of learning that his, a lot of what was going on in his childhood was somewhat of a, a lie and uh, he's sort of rediscovering himself and life. And she plays a, a big role in his journey through that. So mm-hmm. she is definitely the quintessential uh, manic pixie dream girl, if you ask me. Uh, and I'll probably just leave it at your example and the example here in the movie because I can wrap it up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in talking about manic pixie dream girl uh, as a trope, it can unfortunately become kind of a crutch that the writer the director rely on too much where if you lean on that too much then you're pushing the female character away from the main part of the plot where you're just saying oh the manic pixie dream girl is there in support of the male character's growth and so 
that in itself mm-hmm. can become this, like I'm saying, like a, a crutch that you're leaning on, but you're not necessarily uh, fulfilling that character or doing that character justice or showing us multiple dimensions. Hmm. Yeah, typically I would say the manic pixie dream girl goes to the arc of you know storming into the guy's life in the movie, and then at some point she has the low point where she explains how sensitive she is or her dark background her dark history that makes you have a little bit of sympathy. And then by the end, uh, you know, everything's good and everything's better and everything is magically solved between the two characters. <laughs> and she's help, helped uh, the main character realize their potential. Um, so hopefully as this movie goes on, we're seeing this character fleshed out a little bit more uh, as, yeah. as it is now. Uh, she's kind of just fallen into Jeff Goldblum's life and has been pushing him to do these kind of crazier and crazier things. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. She kind of falls into that mold pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I have for this minute. John, did you have anything else to add here? You know, I don't have anything else. Um, You can find Jeff and I on Predator Minute. We are on Facebook at Predator Minute Listeners Palapa. We're also on Twitter at Predator Minute. And yeah, you can find Jeff at Carl underscore Hungus 314. My name is Carl been expert. Dude, yeah, come, uh, come, join us. Listen to a few Predator Minute episodes. We love breaking down that movie. It's an all timer. We do bad Schwarzenegger impressions. <laughs> um, we discuss kill counts. We talk explosions. It's a really good time. It's super nerdy and casual. And uh, come join us for uh, a little Predator breakdown um, and join the conversation on the Facebook Thank group. Thank you. Yeah, and Predator Minute is just one of more than a hundred Movies by Minutes podcasts available. You can find those at moviesbyminutes.com. And listeners should check out that site for more great shows. You can find the listeners group for Into the Night on Facebook. It is the King Lives listeners limo on twitter at night minute on the main site nightminute.com you'll find this show on any podcatching app including itunes google play and the like so listeners thank you so much for listening jeff so uh, i'm so thankful that you did this week with me yeah this has been a blast yeah so i i've been john zabriskie and i'm jeff glover and please join whoever's hosting next time on the into the night minute goodbye everybody goodbye have a great week dude do we thank you or what i say i fall in the or what category